0: and a very warm welcome to everyone. This is the Shuri Network's first podcast, a podcast for everyone. Are you struggling to understand what digital health means? Are you looking to start out, carve out a career or simply intrigued about digital health? Have you ever wondered what the role of a CCIO, a CNIO, a CIO or even a CHCIO is? Are these the only roles in digital health, you have come to the right place. We have an amazing and enviable lineup of guests ready to share their inspirational journeys and provide practical advice. Get ready to be inspired. Get ready to be excited. Get ready to take that next step into the diverse world of careers in digital health.
1: Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Shuri Network podcast. I'm Aisha Rahim, and I'm a psychiatrist in the NHS, as well as the clinical lead for digital transformation in my organisation, otherwise known as a CCIO.
0: I'm Ronki Adijolou. I'm a national digital leader a nurse with a background in health services management, and currently an associate chief nurse and information officer at NHSX.
2: Welcome to
1: the show. Today, we are going to be talking about careers as chief information officers and what that means. Ronke, you will have worked with CIOs in the past. I've worked with CIOs as well. What are you hoping to hear from today's guest?
0: (laughs) I'm excited uh, about hearing from today's guest. Yes, I have worked um with CIOs, but I don't think I've worked directly with CIOs. So I've had them in you know in organization and you sort of see them as um the senior technology executive inside an organization. So I- I'm I'm really curious to see how if and how things have changed um regarding the role. Um, is it just about um leading the technology strategy of an organization or you know is there anything else that they do? Um and where do where does that interface, where does that lie between technology and and people and programmes? I'm just curious to see what, what our guest has to say today. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I've worked with several
1: CIOs in my career and they've all been very different in terms of their focus, their particular interests. So it'd be great to hear uh, the take from our guest today. And our guest is Sonia Patel, who is the CIO of NHSX. So she'll be joining us to talk a little bit about her journey to being where she is, a bit about what she does now, her previous jobs, and also her take on equality, diversity and inclusion. Sonia, welcome to the show. Thank you. So do you want to start off perhaps by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do?
2: So my day job is I'm Sonia Patel. I'm the National Chief Information Officer for NHSX, but I am a proud mother, partner, daughter, and coming from a British Asian background I've got a big family and a big circle of friends which um, you know give me joy outside of work as well. Sounds
1: great we're really happy to have you on the show as well we're really looking forward to hearing about your role your career and what it is that you do. So you mentioned that you're a CIO
2: would you mind just explaining what that is and what your day job entails? Yeah so as a chief information officer in a national role, it's a slightly different from the chief information role in a local organisation on the front line. And my national role is very much about helping the system, both health and care, in terms of understanding digital are building confidence in board leaders around the opportunities and benefit of digital healthcare and technology and also putting the right sets of actions to help local organisations take their relative journeys forward. So that includes us developing the professional uh, workforce um, to take digital forward. Um, investing in leveling up on digital you know necessary digital foundations both both in health and care um, but also making sure that we are embedding digital and data particularly now um, in the emergence of integrated care systems so we're designing them with absolutely digital and data in mind in terms of their inception all the way to their maturity
0: So it'd be really nice um, if if you can tell us what the difference is between a CIO and a CTO and a CDIO.
2: (laughs) Well, I'll, I'll, I'll make best efforts to try. So chief information officer is more industry standard. So you'll find that chief information officer role has been around Um, For a few decades now, uh, particularly in the uprising just after the millennium, we saw the growth of chief information officers and also the talent pipeline leading up to chief information officers. So it's quite well established uh, now. over those uh, generations. And then we've seen the emergence of more specialist roles in uh, digital data and technology. It includes a chief technology officer who will play a specific role and expertise around ensuring they have almost custodianship of the architecture that you're working to to deliver digital healthcare uh, and making sure that any digital healthcare and technology uh, adopted um, sits within a set of principles that supports the business but also ensuring that we make best use of technology and we also invest in modern technology as well. So they have the kind of slightly more deeper expertise uh, from a technology point of view. The CDIO or the CDO, um, there's slight variations. Some CDIO roles are kind of a natural progression of what, what was traditionally a chief information officer role to be more outward facing and consider some of more digital health technologies, particularly how they serve uh, their workforce and also serve their patients. So really getting into the breadth and depth of transformation. Um, And then the CDO role spends more time on actually looking at sort of pathway transformation and digital technologies in terms of supporting that larger transformation in terms of health and care. And that's, I think, how we've adopted it in healthcare, that I'm vastly seeing now, CDO roles growing in other industries as well, and they've all got their slight variations and tailoring based on, um, and in some cases, CDO roles are more seen as sort of kind of digital digital engagement roles Uh, but clearly we've got a definition i think we've developed which really works for us in healthcare so whilst there's a plethora of these kind of chief roles which feels very americanized because i think they kind of started (laughs) off in america i think slowly adapted them how, how am I my but my strong belief across all those chief roles uh, even in the clinical informatician community is they're really about championing change so the stark difference i think for a chief information role it's no longer about just service delivery which I think traditionally was a couple of decades ago, we've moved moved into a generation where it's really about the people and how technology and data is really supporting the people to kind of best use their skill sets and also optimise their sort of kind of working experiences. And particularly as we go into kind of digital health for our citizens, I mean, the opportunities are immense. But also, I mean, the CIO role does not just looks at the opportunity to need to consider security, safety, ethics, all the things that go in to make sure that things are delivered safely and meaningfully um, to the user base as well, so I think we 've hit a new generation mm-hmm. that 's really exciting it 's in some ways it 's less about the technology now it 's more about the the meaningful change and the kind of beneficial change you can create for people and I think that 's what really continues to drive me in my role is knowing where we started and how technology was kind of considered to where we are now, where I was struck just um, yesterday on a visit, how engaged a number of board leaders were, and I'm going to reference Lincoln. I'm sure they'll be pleased about that. Um, (laughs) They called, uh, so the CEO described herself as a digital diva, and I was just like, oh, that's a huge turning point. You know, I wouldn't have heard that maybe five years ago. But to know, yeah, to know a CEO... (laughs) To know that a CEO is feels that passionate about how digital can help her with some of her biggest problems, but also recognizes the challenges and what might need to be taken, but just the leap of confidence to really champion it. Um, alongside, I saw some—you know—I met some great directors of finance really really championing digital. So I'm starting to see a sort of movement to get across board leaders, which just is, which is almost uh, any sort of chief information variation of that role just a delight to work in when you've got peers that are really engaging the conversation rather than seeing yourself as i know it's it again it never really works well actually no we've we've proven now that it can you know i well digital data and technology the collective can really make a difference, so really really please, so if we set aside our various acronyms, I think the ultimate goal is to really make a true difference interesting and
0: you know I, I think that there are three things that i 've taken from that, Sonia, thank you so much. what's also coming through is that that the roles are constantly evolving um, based on you know the environment itself the digital landscape but also what's really important and that's coming through really strongly is that digital transformation isn't just about an IT department or particular um, people it's it's basically for everyone everyone needs to get involved so it's really exciting to hear CEOs and and or senior executives all getting involved in this I think that's really really great news. Thanks Sonia. I was really struck
1: by the passion with which you spoke as well and one of the things that you mentioned at the start is how the, the role that you have currently at a national level is quite different to the one that you were doing previously which is being the CIO of a hospital trust or a couple of hospital trusts. Do you want to say a little bit about your role in your former life doing those kinds of jobs and, and how that differs, and what kind of things you were working on?
2: I really enjoyed my frontline CIO role. I um, um, so, I started off initially working for one trust, and very quickly within nine months, I was asked to pick up a joint chief information officer role across two trusts, which broadly were about five hospitals, a total workforce just over 10,000, bed based over 1,300, uh, community service as well. So, what an exciting portfolio. And from sort of my humble beginnings, it was a real privilege to be in that role, to be taken up and taken seriously as a BAME leader in a frontline CIO because no one looks like me in other CIO roles. And to be honest, I had been trying for years to get to that senior level. And I kind of finally found my break. And I'm thankful for those that trusted me in taking that role. I used that role to pick up a role in an organization that had very low digital maturity. So probably not the most attractive of roles if you were starting out your CIO role. But I thought, you know what? I'm so driven. I I want to make change for the organization. And it just so happened to be, it was also um, one of the hospitals was one of my local um, uh, trusts. So really passionate about, I am a local citizen. I really want to make a difference. I know the population. And so really, you know, internally I was driven. It wasn't easy. I mean, we had so much legacy uh, tech debt within the organization. But it was so interesting. There was such a a pull from clinicians and the workforce that they wanted digital and data technology. And in some ways, they just went off and did their own thing because they they wanted technology to actually work for them and make a difference. And it was also... one of the organizations were post-merger. So trying to work across multiple sites, you know, you really need your technology to be able to share information, share case notes and information. So I was really driven when I started the role and also driven the fact that I really wanted to make a difference for the people and the the patients of, of of the trust. And, So, in that role, my portfolio included looking after medical records, looking after switchboard and telephony services, it included looking after core ICT services, so everything from data centres to networking to end-user compute. Um, I also had uh, business intelligence, system applications, Um, I also had information governance. So, you know, what I think is actually a reasonable portfolio, which gives me good coverage of what I considered to be the information life cycle. So one of the things we have, we have a bit of disparity across frontline CIOs in terms of the portfolio. But I think over time, I made sure I got the kind of right life cycle to make sure we were digitizing information and improving workflow processes all the way to making sure security, privacy were all considered as part of the process. So during my uh, sort of three years in that role, it was interesting. My year one was really trying to uh, get my head around how the organization worked, what were what were the sweet spots of actually getting the culture to really think about digital from a board level all the way to the floor level, how did I instill confidence? And I spent a lot of first year just campaigning. I mean, my the campaign that we ran ended up saying, let's talk digital, let's get digital. And I, I really think that kind of made Made it accessible to those that weren't feeling confident, or maybe bruised, or not best use of technology. So we ran a campaign. We encouraged innovation to come through our doors. We set up something called the digital den, so people could come with problems or solutions they saw in the market, or just say this isn't working well. Um, What can you do for us? So we set up the digital den. So kind of encouraging the workforce. And I also, with other colleagues, spent a lot of time walking the floors to see. What were the issues? Why weren't things working well? And it was that and that winter that I, that I actually started, spent a lot of time in terms of how can I help digital support patient flow. So We had no structured EPR at this time. We grew the confidence through simple things like determining what we had in our ED pathway. We had seven out of 10 portal requests that weren't being completed properly. So that then said you're, that when, you know, that's also creating a backlog in terms of patient flow. So that then led on to us. How can we make sure that the transition of our patients through, through the hospital into wards was seamless and we were best using portering time? So we introduced at that time with a small innovation, something called the ePortering app, um, which later went on to win a HSJ award. But it was just looking at those unrepresented groups that could best benefit from technology to say, we can really help you. And they really wanted. And the key thing there was when I speak to the porters, the porters will say, this is so damn good. Why haven't we used it before? You know, just those that, that those were the things that kept me going to say we can make a difference. So that was year one. Year two, then we really need to look at the kind of core infrastructure. So while we innovated, so we went on our EPR journey as a joint trust. Uh, which was quite significant to bring the collaboration of two organisations together um, and go through the kind of process of actually getting clinical engagement, building the clinical informatician community, which, you know, is not easy. Um, Colleagues here will understand that takes time to develop and trust You need to create a diameter of trust in that relationship with clinicians around we are investing to support our clinical work base and our operational work base. So year two was really kind of kind of smoothing out some of the infrastructure, developing our EPR case. And then year three, we got really exciting around closing our business case. And then solidly the pandemic hit us. So pandemic for me was just almost like this unique opportunity because we had, whilst there were challenges, and I will I will share some of my lived experiences of how hard it was at that point in time. There were some unique opportunities where actually the workforce pull for being able to work safely from home, the workforce pull to say, well, I might be um, shielding, but I can still look after my patients. You know, the the whole sort of the necessitated by need around actually the the not just confidence but the will and the perseverance to work differently was phenomenal it did help a slightly open checkbook that we were able to take through a number of significant technologies and also be really creative around how the market helped us i mean we needed virtual visiting we put a call out to the market and 48 hours later we were developing a beta for a virtual visit and really proud of the team's work and the difference it made just to keep loved ones connected with families um, on site but you know, the the kind of real difficulties. So uh Northwick Park Trust was probably one of the worst ICU hits at the time, just because of the prevalence and the demographics in the first wave. So we were we were really pushed. The speed at which we were seeing admissions was uncontrollable to some extent and difficult to manage that process through. So I just remember at lightning speed how we were trying to help our dirty wards and clean wards and dirty bays and clean bays and how we were trying to put technology in into those considerations and you know the the difficulties and the hallmarks of having to do that with not the best use of utilities as well because it was so early in the pandemic we were using bin liners to separate rooms it was it was different and the thing that marks me the most was when we had nurses coming down to me as the IT director saying IT's got to be able to help us some way and they were in tears saying we are seeing loved ones dying and they are unable to keep had their last word or last contact with their with their families and or friends and that for me was just like we've got to do we've we, you know we've got to put all the stops out to help our colleagues because not only are we doing it for our patients but we need to support our workforce as well in those difficult times so some really hard experiences but also some real good that's come out of it in terms of how we continue to take digital forward and how that digital technology and also data helps our people is is so key yeah and i think there's nothing
1: more sobering than hearing the lived experience of staff on the ground trying to look after patients under difficult circumstances, and knowing that actually in the NHS you don't have to be a nurse or a doctor to contribute to safe, good, high-quality, compassionate patient care. And, and
2: I think you sort of
1: demonstrated that really clearly in, in the uh, yeah,
2: yeah. On compassionate, it's not just our clinical workforce. I think compassion is something that runs even through our digital. Uh, and clinical informatics profession, compassion absolutely needs to come through alongside sort of real kind of integrity and ethics about how we take digital and data technology. So this is about whilst it can be quite industrialised in terms of our, our roles around processes so from requirements all the way to deployment and delivery and we could do it in a more agile approach actually we the compassion and integrity is just as important in terms of our leadership skills
0: yeah, I would like us to go a few steps back um, because I, I'm curious and I, I'm sure everyone um, who's listening to this is curious and, and they really want to know where you where you started
2: from. So definitely like many others I've fallen into, but probably there's a course of events in my <laughs> in my journey that kind of paved the path to the CIO. At one point, um, I wanted to be sort of a doctor. Um Uh, But actually, I then ended up um, studying sort of pharmaceutical sciences and Through my last year of my uh, undergrad, I came across a module that was fairly new in that course, which was around bioinformatics, which was really around genome sequencing with uh, large genomic databases. And I did so well. And I had such a a curiosity for actually how technology was used to be able to sequence proteins and where that might go. I actually then took that further in terms of my master's and um, qualified as a bioinformatician. So no one knew what that was back in the late 1990s. And now there's absolutely a growing trend for bioinformaticians in the in the uprising of sort of genomic medicine. My stepping stone after... Um, Qualifying as a bioinformatician is, as per usual, there's no kind of set roles. I had to find myself after uh, sort of uh, after my postgraduate. So I ended up becoming a nutritionist for a few years because I thought that might be my ultimate destination. But then I thought, oh, I'm not sure if this is where I ultimately want to be. It's nice, but I'm I'm not really cut out for retail. I mean. <laughs> I think you've got to have a, a certain a certain skill for those kind of long hours and um, working the shop floor. I then decided that let me for, uh, follow my formal qualification into into a kind of career path. So I ended up working in a science park out in Cambridge for a few years. That was one sort of one of the largest science park at the time that were uh, doing all sorts of kind of product development to um uh, s- sequence the human genome. So I worked on sort of ontology development and sort of uh, database design and application development to decode uh, and also sequence the human genome. Um, and so I I then developed more software skills based on my sort of earlier qualifications, which were which which was exciting. But then I think personally working at in, in the Cambridge Science Park, I was all Londoner by heart and I really wanted to be back London and for personal reasons, just spend more time with my own family. Um, so I made the shift back to London and thought, how can I use my transferable skills? You know, where are they best placed? So I did a few, few interesting jobs in the NHS to kind of find my way, which included working medical records and then working as an administrative <laughs> assistant. I mean, I've, I've done a few interesting roles. And then... The opportunity struck as a senior information, Alice, um, in West Middlesex Hospital. And I remember going in there and the role was to just look at sort of pharmacy data and epac data and making sure you're awesome. And then over the course of a kind of few months, I was like, why are we doing it this way? And um, so my improvement had started coming on. And then I designed a whole database with VB scripting and Microsoft Excel. And they were like, wow, this is fantastic. And for me, it was like secondary skills. That led on developing sort of commissioning data sets. And I thought, oh, great, this I've got some sort of career I could go. Here. It wasn't really well clearly articulated in the NHS, but there was an emergence of roles. It also happened when I first joined the NHS. Uh, that's when the 10-year plan hit my desk at one point. And I remember the IT director at the time saying, well, this is what the organisation is going to be doing over the next ten years in terms of IT. It's so ironic, isn't it? I'm still here, sort of 18 years on, and I'm still working to level up the digital foundations. But look, um, after I took up some information roles, I also worked at the Strategic Health Authority, and. Being in information, I started to take a tendency towards performance, which sometimes that can happen. So I tested my role in turnaround roles, even, and I just thought, actually, this is not for me. Um, yeah, my it's 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 not my core to be so it be, yeah, it wasn't in my core to be in 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 such a sort of kind of metric and you know kpi driven world and then i thought i want to move back to my my when my heart where my following was i'm mean, you know just following my call was in technology so then there was an opening for a chief information officer role looking after primary care uh a community um, and commissioning services in Westminster. So I took that role up. I took that role up at the age of 30 as well. So I was very young in my career when I took up chief my first chief information officer role. So I had lots of ambition, but I hadn't quite got enough experience as well. So I think, you know, the last decade or so has been kind of building up real world experience in terms of managerial and leadership and working through challenging situations. Because it's always great to have technical expertise, but you also need to have work through the system to understand people management. So I took my CIO role and then I had two kids in the process. And interestingly enough, my second child, I was hoping that I would take a proper time off because learning from the first I just needed more time and then opportunity struck again at my door to say we've got a fantastic contracting opportunity for you and it was really hard to refuse so I started part-time again um, and that role largely over the course of the six years was a program director role for uh, a Northwest London ICS and I had done so many fun I had so much for fantastic exposure in that role because we were working quite closely with these national teams at the time in terms of pioneering around information governance um looking at uh, installing primary care systems at scale so there was some really great things did in that role developing population health systems um yeah it's it's given me a whole wealth of experience which gave me enough courage to take the the frontline cio role when it when the opportunity did strike to say I, I i created more belief in myself and the experience that i had gathered around the kind of people and working with both senior stakeholders and varied groups from you know clinicians to patients as well when i was working in the in the program director role um, got me to the CIO role and almost the rest is hitched stream now because I'm in this national role and I'm, trying to best tap into all my experience and my expertise. But, you know, one of the things I, I'm keen on is I'm always learning. Every interaction, I'm learning something new. I think this is my favourite description of a career trajectory that I've heard thus far.
1: <laughs> and I think it does dispel some of the myths about having to be very highly technical and having to come from that, uh, you know, computer science background in order to progress in this domain. And it's, it's such a, a different route but actually the more we talk to people the more that's coming across that there are many many paths to people getting where they are
0: what I would like to know is what excites you about digital health and technology is making a true difference for our patients because you
2: know a patient could be my dad my brother, they could be your you know your family your parents i mean that for me is where i think the digital health community can make a really impactful difference like a true difference to an individual's health and care like no in some ways like no other industry can and i think that's what drives me about digital in healthcare and social care too i don't think you could find that in any other industry
1: things I am conscious of though of course that we're all women of colour working in digital health and everybody has a slightly different take on this often we're in a minority if we're in a room uh, of professionals in our field I was just wondering about what your experiences have been Sonia and have you come across things that you found challenging have you got advice for people that are in that similar situation that might not
2: feel that their face fits yeah let me start with a few words to say I, I am now a great believer that there is no glass ceiling and I think we need to believe in ourselves as women of colour and women particularly, that there is no gas feeling. You can reach for the stars if you really want to. You need to believe in yourself. I think you also need to be authentic in your desires and the way you connect with people and always take forward what is your, you know, is central to your core. Sorry, I, I think that's the only the best way I describe it. What's core to you is quite important. It's taken me a while. But I don't think I necessarily noticed some of the microaggressions along my journey. So I think my first insecurity was my age. I was young. <laughs> I was very young as I was moving up the career ladder. And clearly, I, I had the technical know-how, but I fell into situations. When I look back now, it's probably I didn't have the the kind of learned experience of ha- people management or handling tricky uh, uh, solutions, particularly conflicting uh, situations as well. So I thought initially it was age. And then slowly, slowly, as I started progressing, I had at one meeting, predominated with lots of males that looked very similar, um, I made a return from my frontline CIO role into sort of my old kind of group and network. And I remember one individual turning around and saying to me, Ooh, haven't you done so well? And I wow. I kind of, I brushed that off. And then someone else observed it and said to me, do you not think that was a microaggression? And I was like, I don't see it. And then it took me a long while to realise that the perception was that how can I, a woman of colour, Uh, reach beyond what is perceived as the ceiling in in terms of that role. So there are small microaggressions that I face without realising it until someone else has actually observed it and shared it with me. But, you know, in some ways, um, it makes me stronger. It makes me more motivated because I do think that we should be pushing boundaries and we should have the confidence. But I recognise that's you know, that's my own personal trait and not everyone is similar. You know, we're all diverse, not just in our colours and our backgrounds, but also in our kind of characteristic and traits as well. So that's me personally. But one of the things that in taking up the national CIO role as well, one of the things I thought to myself is I so enjoyed my frontline CIO role. I had to take, you know, I had to think about it twice because, it, you know, I was almost in some ways living the dream because I could see the the impact, the change, you know, the environment, I had a great team. And in taking up the role, I remember some of the advice I thought about, you know, what, what decision should I make? And someone said, don't just take up the role for what you want, just take up the role for the hope that you can give others. Um, And I took up the role in the fact that if that is just even a small percentage to give others hope that actually they can reach beyond what is normally seen as the kind of ceiling, then yes. So that's why I'm really pleased now at NHSX um, to be head of of professional digital informatics community and working with other clinical informaticians in their head of profession capacity to say, we can really work on the profession, and given where we are with the profession, we can also ensure uh, that actually we are diverse, you know, in every possible way in terms of that profession we build. I also lead on the anti-racism and inclusion agenda at NHSX because it is so personal to me, and uh, you know, alongside there's so many great allies in the system. I have to say, for every successful appointment I've had. I have to just be grateful to those that actually put their trust in me to take up the roles because you don't see many people like me. You just don't. And one of the things I now look amongst sort of the profession, there's probably only less than probably a handful of BAME females in CIO roles. A few coming through talent pipeline, particularly in... I, in the clinical informatician community, it's growing and it's great to see that. In the digital informatician community, we've still got some work to do. I'm not seeing a natural pipeline encouraged. There's so much to do as well. But can I also just shine a light on our male bane colleagues? So there is, I think I'm presented when I'm looking across the CIO community, which is probably now 280 strong. There are probably only three black CIOs I see in that community. And that for me is disproportionate as well. So we've got some serious issues. And I there are no from my from my kind of observations and the best directory I have of the CIOs, I see no black female CIOs as well. So we've got Whilst we're increasing BAME, I also want to make sure that sort of uh, we're also thinking about particular BAME groups in that process as well and making sure that we get the kind of range of diversity that the profession deserves, really. So for me, yes, it's a journey, but I'm hoping as colleagues start breaking through that seeing more role models in the different parts of the profession actually encourage others that they can see people like them and have the confidence to kind of take those careers forward. And it will take time. Thanks, Sonia.
1: So one final question before we wrap up, Sonia. So if you had some top tips to give to people who were interested in putting their toe in the water into a career and trying to end up maybe where you ended up one day, what advice would you give to
2: people? Firstly, is do not be afraid to try things. Do not put challenges and bound you know challenges and obstacles in front of you. Do do not do that. Try. Secondly, you absolutely need resilience. It's still tough today. and It will still be tough for a while for particularly women of colour. And in supporting an individual's resilience, make sure you've got a phenomenal support network. So the Shuri Network, to, for me, is my phenomenal network. So we need networks that encourage, inspire, support, help you through challenges. And my last one would be there is no glass ceiling keep reaching for the stars because it is possible it is possible with enough determination with enough support around you um and the growth that we are we are seeing in allyship i think it's absolutely possible to reach your destination that's a wonderful and inspiring
1: note to end on uh really great to hear your story sonia so all that remains is uh, for us to thank you so much for your time it's been a pleasure speaking with you today Well, another fantastic conversation there with Sonia Ronke. What, what were the highlights for you, do you think?
0: Aisha, I felt, it felt like um, opening a Pandora's box. Mm. I didn't know what was going to come out and everything that came out of it was golden to me. It was like gold dust. It was amazing. Um, very riveting insight into Sonia's background and, and subsequently becoming the CEO of NHSX. And I think that would resonate with our audience. And I think what it showed us is that there isn't a, a sort of like a one size fits all. Um, you could have, um, you could start out as uh, you know, in a completely different career journey and end up somewhere different. And that's OK. I think the support that she said she she got from... Senior wow. leaders, especially the CEO of of NHSX, um, who trusted her and and put his support in the fact that she um, is qualified and um, and confident enough to deliver the the um, the CIO digital transformation strategy. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree there. I think for me, hearing
1: Sonia talk about the impact that digital and technology has on the experience of people through COVID. This story that she told about nursing staff coming to her, just saying how desperately distressed they were at people not being able to see relatives, for example, and, and coming to the digital department for help just really underpins for me how we all have a role to play in the delivery of care within the NHS, even if we you know we're not actually Practising as doctors or nurses or occupational therapists, for example, so that thread of compassion, compassion in healthcare, even in the technology space, I think really um, was very powerful to me.
0: Absolutely, and 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 also just as finally, I think it just uh reiterate the fact that digital uh, digital health and technology is for everyone from from, from you know someone who's a porter and um, can can talk to you about processes and, and how to change the as is to, to the future all the way up to the c ceo so i think it's important not to to make uh, digital health complex because it really isn't a complex it's not a complex thing so um it, it's for everyone yeah.
1: listening today we really
0: hope you enjoyed the episode so
1: please subscribe and share the episode with other people and if you want to know more about the Shuri network or you want to feedback or even suggest topics for future episodes visit shurinetwork.com. network.com you can also follow us on twitter at network where you can find out more about what we're doing see
0: you next, see you next time <laughs> <laughs>